Good afternoon. Uh, thanks everyone for coming here to Hudson Institute and I want to thank our online viewers for uh, turning, tuning in today uh, as we uh, discuss the future of the transatlantic community, Russia and Ukraine. Uh, we have, uh, I'm joined by two uh, fascinating and well-known uh, speakers. Uh, to, my, uh, to my left is uh, the Right Honorable Sir Liam Fox, MP. The full title there, uh, a, a medical doctor by uh, early profession, entered the uh, House of Commons in 1992 and held various ministerial ro roles in the major government uh, and also was defense secretary under David Cameron and then uh, trade secretary under Theresa May. Uh, the most important thing you need to know about Liam Fox though is that he was my boss for five years mm -hmm. uh, in London, so uh, <laughs> th that's a very important thing to, to note. <laughs> um, but mo most importantly, and probably most relevant to today's discussion, Liam has always been one of the staunchest critics of Putin's Russia uh, in, in UK politics. Um, and uh, that's why it's so great to have Liam here today to uh, participate in, in this event. Um, of course, our, our, our main uh, guest today is Mikhail. Kordakovsky, who needs no introduction uh, whatsoever, uh, but I'll give him an introduction anyway. Uh, he was one of the uh, staunchest and earliest critics of Vladimir Putin's uh, rule in Russia. Of course, he's a successful businessman who at one time was probably Russia's wealthiest man and led Yukos Oil, one of the largest oil companies, in the, or, or, largest oil producers in the world. Um, in 2003, uh, at the point in his career where he started raising questions about rampant corruption uh, inside the Kremlin and inside Russia, uh, he <clears throat> famously had this encounter with Vladimir Putin that was on television, challenging him about uh, uh, allegations of corruption uh, and incompetence. And you can actually go on YouTube and, and watch this exchange. And that exchange led to uh, his imprison imprisonment for 10 years um, on, on, on dubious uh, uh, tax fraud charges. He was finally released in 2013, made it to London, where he lives now in exile, and he devotes his time and energy and resources to raising awareness about what's happening in Russia, countering uh, Vladimir Putin's rule, uh, and uh, fighting corruption to to hopefully someday usher in a new era of uh, reform and democracy inside the uh, Russian Federation. So uh, with that, I want to turn it over to my, my, my friend and, uh, and former boss, uh, Liam Fox, to kick the discussion off. Thank you. So uh, Mikhail, born in 1963, a Jewish father, a Russian Orthodox mother, uh, despite the fact that they themselves were quite strongly anti-communist. You had a very traditional, at the time, Russian upbringing. Um, you were in Komsomol, you did all the right things, and yet you were one of the first people to understand the economic potential of Glasnost and Perestroika. You began with your cafe, worked your way through computers, finance, banking, and then oil to become uh, 16th on the richest uh, billionaires list in Forbes by 2003. Tell us, to what do you attribute that economic success? Is it uh, your natural business flair? Is it uh, your driving ambition? Or was it a lucky break and just getting the right time in history? Я своим друзьям, когда они празднуют дни рождения, всегда желаю удачи. Потому что я считаю, что удача when I'm celebrating my friends' birthdays with them, uh, I always wish them good luck. Because frankly, I think good luck is like 99% of it. You um, worked as uh, an economic advisor in the first Yeltsin government, and you were reportedly, you can tell if it's true, on the barricades uh, with the attempted coup by the, uh, the hardliners. At that time, you published a paper called The Man with the Ruble, which was effectively a capitalist manifesto, which is quite far from Komsomol, it has to be said. When you became very wealthy, you weren't the traditional Russian playboy. You weren't 
buying yachts or buying up large parts of the south of France, like lots of them. And yet the crash in 1998 showed you that capitalism could bring losses as well as profits. What were your thoughts around that time and were you disillusioned by capitalism and how you had seen it progress in Russia to that point? Well, в тот момент не особо успевала обзавестись яхтами и самолетами. Well, my generation of Russian entrepreneurs of that era weren't exactly in any position to be buying up yachts and, and real estate at that time. Потому что для нас открылась такая игра, игра, в которую было интереснее всего на свете. Because we were suddenly being allowed to participate in a game that was the most exciting thing in the world for us. Yes. Yes, I was on the barricades in 91, 93, and in 96 there were, there were also things happening, but it was because this was all so interesting. Для меня капитализм это то, что позволяет людям моего типа принимать на себя ответственность за решения и воплощать их. И это я ни на что не поменяю. For me, capitalism means an opportunity for people like myself to shoulder responsibilities and to bring them to life. And that's something I wouldn't forsake for the world. Um, now in 2001, that's when you really started the, uh, the campaign about uh, fighting corruption and bringing about reform to Russia. You started the uh, Open Russia and you've you know, continued with this work in some form or another since then in 2001. What was your motivation at the time? At what point did you realize something's not right and I need to do something about it? Can you tell us about Open Russia and your decision to, to establish that organization? На самом деле, открытая Россия, вот это вот все социальное интерпренерство было результатом 98 года. Actually, uh, Open Russia and, and all the social entrepreneurship was all a result of 1998. Because in 1998, I saw for the first time that business is not always a game. Иногда это судьбы десятков тысяч, сотен тысяч людей, за которых ты персонально несешь ответственность. Responsibility. И это тяжело. That's a heavy burden. Вот. И да, после этого uh, началось то, что я продолжаю до сегодняшнего дня это работа с образованием, с поддержкой социальных проектов, но это вот вот в тот момент вошло в голову. So that that's where it all began and uh, all these educational and and uh, social projects that I'm involved in to this day all date back to then. That that was the catalyst. So in this period where you were getting your great ascent economically and through business, uh, someone else was coming up through the political ranks, uh, and that was Putin himself. So in 1991, he resigns from the KGB. In 1996, he moves from St. Petersburg to, to Moscow to become Yeltsin's first deputy manager. By 98, he's back at the helm of the FSB. Uh, he then, the next year, is the uh, Russian uh, Security Council secretary, then prime minister. A year later, uh, Putin, uh, uh, Yeltsin resigns, and Putin is made uh, effective president. Uh, when did you, in all of this, first meet Putin? 
And what were your first impressions of him? Первый раз я его увидел, когда он уже стал исполнять обязанности президента. The first time I met him, he was already acting president. И я был им обманут и вдохновлен, как многие другие. And I, like many others, was deceived and inspired by him. Мне он показался, в отличие от Ельцина, который был царем, он мне показался очень современным таким руководителем. In contrast to Yeltsin, who was a tsar, he seemed to me to be a really modern managerial type. Мне казалось, ну вот наше поколение пришло наконец к к управлению страной. Вот теперь-то уж мы рванем. As I saw it, or my feeling was, all right, finally our generation's turn has come to be in power in Russia. Now we're going to really start moving forward. Я не знал, что в тот же момент он, выступая перед коллегией ФСБ, говорил о том, что ваше задание выполнено, мы пришли к власти. Little did I know that at this very time he spoke to the collegium of the FSB and told them, congratulations, guys, job well done. We're in power now. And, well, some of us have always taken the view that once KGB, always KGB. Uh, even if you change the names. And this interaction with you uh, was to prove important because in October 2003, you were arrested uh, after the arrest of Platon Lebedev, your, your partner, charged with fraud, tax evasion, and a whole range of other ill-defined economic crimes. And of course, just before this, the Kremlin had published uh, Stanislav Bukovsky's The Plot of the Oligarchs, which uh, suggested that there was a plan to oust Putin and to replace the presidency with a, a parliamentary democracy in Russia, which of course is a classic KGB, FSB uh, way of, of doing business. And it's fair to say that the markets at that time didn't take your arrest very well, and they questioned the stability uh, of the Russian economy uh, and also the dependability of Putin uh, as an economic partner. Now, given what you said about your transition of your views on Putin, by this point, were you expecting your arrest? Did you expect that Putin would go back to the old ways of, of the KGB? And if you did expect it, when did you expect it? Во-первых, очень важно. Не надо воспринимать Путина в основном как руководителя спецслужбы. Okay, first I want to clarify one very important thing. It would be a mistake to view Putin first and foremost as a head of an organization in the intelligence community. Наверное, среди представителей спецслужб есть и такие люди, но это необычный для этой службы человек. Now, maybe there are other people like him in the, uh, among the leadership of the, of the world's intelligence community, but they are the exception rather than the rule. Это человек, который отвечал за взаимодействие между спецслужбами Санкт-Петербурга и бандитами Санкт-Петербурга. This is the person who was responsible for liaison between St. Petersburg's special services and St. Petersburg's organized crime. И в его окружении до сегодняшнего дня достаточное количество людей из организованной преступности. And in his inner circle to this day, there's quite a few people who come from the organized crime community. Я этого, считайте меня наивным человеком, я этого не понимал даже после ареста. Call me naive. I did not understand this even after I'd been arrested. I still didn't get this. Для меня, когда он, он, во-первых, ареста я ожидал, потому что до этого он арестовал моего бизнес-партнера. Well, to answer your question, I was expecting to be arrested. He had arrested my business partner shortly before that, after all. Вот, и я здесь был в Америке и сказал тогда... 
такому очень известному конгрессмену, с которым мы много общались, Тому Лантосу, о том, что, да, вероятность моего ареста достаточно большая. A uh, relatively well-known American congressman at the time, Tom Lantos, and and I told him, yes, the the probability that I will be arrested is very high indeed. Вот, но тем не менее я считал, что это часть политического противостояния. Я не видел это как способ ограбления, в том числе акционеров Юкса. But even then, I th I thought that this would would be just a move in a, a political standoff. I did not think that this would actually uh, be a way of uh, robbing the thousands and thousands of Yuko shareholders, that this, that this would be brigandry. It, it, this ki it kind of answers the next question I was going to ask you, which was uh, uh, Leonid uh, Nevzlin, who worked with you, of course, at Menetap Bank, he told you to take your money and go abroad and start business there. He went to, to Israel. To do that, you decided to stay in Russia. Why? Наверное, странно будет звучать, но когда ты много лет руководишь большой компанией, ты чувствуешь себя ответственным перед людьми, которые там работают. This may sound strange, but if you run a large company for a long period of time, you start feeling responsible for the people who work for you. И я прекрасно понимал, что если я уеду, этим людям скажут, что они работали на преступников, что они сами преступники, что эти преступники уехали и их бросили, и они в это поверят. And I knew that were I to leave, uh, the people who stay behind would be told, uh, you've been working for criminals, you yourselves are criminals, and that they would believe that. А для меня это было абсолютно невыносимо, вот что те десятки и сотни тысяч людей, с которыми я работал много лет, поверят в то, что они работали на самом деле на преступников, для меня это было абсолютно невыносимо. And that's something that I just couldn't stomach. I, I couldn't stomach the notion that the tens and hundreds of thousands of people who had worked for me all those years would think that they'd been working for criminals all along. I couldn't do that. And I thought that the court would give me a platform. The court did give me a platform. Back then it did. Now, now, now they realize their mistake and they don't do that anymore. So you had a 10-month trial, after which you and Lebedev were both sentenced to nine years uh, in penal colonies. Can you briefly describe to us what that's like? What's life, in, in, in one paragraph, what's life like in a Russian penal colony? Uh, <laughs> you can just say not nice. Это лучше, чем было в ГУЛАГе. This is better than the gulag. Вот, но это по-прежнему неприятно. But it's still not very pleasant. And while, while you were there, you still challenged the authorities. So when, you, uh, when Lebedev was put into isolation, you went on hunger strike on his behalf. And what I'm, what I'm trying to, to find out from you is, did you understand what risk that was putting you in to do that? And what was your motivation to take on the authorities while you're already in prison? Uh, I uh, conducted four hunger strikes while in prison. Two ordinary ones and two so-called dry hunger strikes where you refuse water as well as food. Uh, I won all four. Uh, that is, my demands were satisfied. Uh, 
This happened because each time I thought very carefully about exactly what demands I should make and whether this is the appropriate time to be making them. Я точно для себя знал, что я не могу проиграть, и если мои требования не удовлетворят, я должен буду умереть. Та голодовка, о которой вы говорите, она была потому, что uh, начальник uh, российских тюрем всех сказал, что он отправляет uh, моего друга Платона Лебедева в, uh, в карцер, и он там останется до смерти. Uh, sending my, my friend Platon Lebedev to the Karzer, which is a Russian word that comes from German that means dungeon. He was sending him to, to the dungeon where he would stay uh, for the rest of his life. И Платон был болен. Я знал, что он реально не выдержит. Платон was ill, and I knew that he would not survive the dungeon. И я посчитал, что они в тот момент не могут себе позволить два трупа. And I calculated that they couldn't afford two dead bodies at that particular point. And even after that, you played the sort of deadly cat and mouse game with the authorities in 2005. In August 2005, you announced that you were going to run for parliament, taking advantage of the loophole that your case was still in appeal. And yet, just two months later, you were transferred to Krasnokomersk labor camp where you were attacked by one of the inmates who later said that he was forced by the guards to do so and encouraged by, quote, unknown persons who came to visit him uh, in the camp. Um, you knew that a number of, quite a few, opponents of Putin have either been murdered or, or disappeared. Did you at any point feel that you were never going to come out of prison alive? Uh, <laughs> В 2006 году, то есть через три года после ареста, я решил, что меня в тюрьме оставят на всю жизнь. Alas, yes, in 2006, that is three years after my arrest, I came to the conclusion that they would leave me in prison for the rest of my life, yes. И он бы оставил, но мне просто драматически повезло. And indeed, Putin would have left me there forever. I just like was really, really lucky. Слушайте, тогда 10 лет казалось, что дали большой срок. Сегодня моему товарищу Владимиру Кормурзе дали 25 лет. И это теперь как бы нормально. You were due to come up for parole, for example. New charges were brought against you. Um, and uh, this happened on, on, on more than one occasion. Then by 2009, President Obama visited Russia, brought up your case. It was brought up the European Court of Human Rights. It was brought up in the UK Parliament and a, a lot of other places. Did you think that this international attention uh, made it inevitable that the charges that came in 2009 and 10 would arrive? Uh, is this how, is this how the, the Russian thugocracy responds to international opinion? Well, the, the answer to this question is there are pluses and there are minuses to such a situation. Международная поддержка придает заключенным значимость для режима. International support gives a prisoner significance in the eyes of the regime. И режим, конечно, так сказать, стремится их прижать еще больше. And the regime obviously then tries to quash them even more fiercely. То есть это типа дорогой заложник. This is a, uh, an expensive hostage for them. Вот, но при этом у них пропадает готовность тебя убивать. But 
in the process, they lose the um, um, readiness to kill you if they, if they would like to. И я считаю, что вот эта вот международная поддержка политзаключенных очень важна, потому что они выйдут, когда помрет Путин, но они до этого должны дожить. And, and Ukraine contemporary events. But just to finish up on, on this episode of your life, tell us about the circumstances of your so-called amnesty um, and your release. Why was it in Putin's interest to release you when he did? And was any bargain made with Putin to achieve this? I'll repeat, I was really, really lucky. Uh, было три месяца окно. There was a three-month window. Когда Путин uh, хотел провести успешно Олимпиаду и еще не готов был нападать на Украину. When Putin wanted to have a spectacular Olympics, but wasn't ready yet to attack Ukraine. И благодаря uh, Дитриху Геншеру и Ангеле Меркель Uh, так сказать, в списке на освобождение оказался я и девочки из Пусирайт. And thanks to uh, uh, the work done by uh, uh, Dietrich Genscher and Angela Merkel, uh, the list of uh, people to be released included my name and that of the girls from Pussy Riot. <laughs> Always name dropping. Um, <laughs> Now, now, I've already been sanctioned by, by the Russians because of what I've said about Putin. So, uh, Luke, why don't you ask a little bit about... Uh, well, I've been sanctioned that. as well. <laughs> In fact, Hudson Institute as an organization has also been sanctioned. But yeah, uh, Liam asked you uh, about what it was like when you first met Vladimir Putin and what he was like at that point in the late, uh, late 1990s and your perceptions of him then. But going forward... Uh, to later in your life and even to today. What can you tell us about the man, Vladimir Putin, as a, as a leader of Russia? Are there any constraints on him that can uh, deter his actions that we should be considering here in the United States or in, in Europe? Um, is he trying to build a legacy or is he now just focused on preserving his power and his control? Хороший вопрос. Я не могу со стопроцентной уверенностью сказать, что я полностью понимаю Путина. It's a good question. Uh, I have to admit that uh, I cannot say with 100% certainty that I understand Putin. Но uh, то, uh, что я понимаю, позволяет предсказывать, uh, во всяком случае, многие его шаги. But what I do understand of him does allow me to uh, uh, predict many of the steps that he does take. Uh, it should be said, yeah, legacy is something that does concern him. He has spoken about this and quite recently and to people who are quite close to him. При этом вот его типаж это типаж, который лучше всего узнаваем из фильма Крестный отец. But his character, what you know, what what he's like, the the best way to understand what he's like is watch the movie The Godfather. И я, так сказать, благодаря Путину знаю в общем достаточное количество бандитов. And thanks to Putin, I actually know quite a few gangsters. And I spent many years with them. And many of them, uh, as they approach death, start thinking about legacy. But at the same time, 
удержание власти сейчас и сегодня для них играет все-таки основное значение. But right now, today, holding on to power is the main thing that concerns them. Many people, especially in, in the West, often describe the Russia we're facing today as um, this, a Cold War Russia, a Soviet Russia. I think this is completely misunderstanding the situation. I describe it more as an imperial Russia. And Putin behaves, uh, he's a, he has 19th century ambitions, but as a 21st century leader, and I think this is dangerous. He'll be known as a serial aggressor against his neighbors, whether it's the second Chechen war that he oversaw, Russia's invasion of Georgia in 2008, and you know, many forget that Russia's still occupying 20% of Georgia's internationally recognized territory. And then of course we had the annexation of Crimea in 2014, which was the first time uh, since 1990 that a, a, a leader used military force to annex part of another country when Saddam Hussein did it against Kuwait in, in 1990. Um, and then of course we had the large scale invasion of Ukraine in 2022. So ultimately, what is Putin trying to achieve with all of this? Is this a distraction from his domestic problems? Or does he think that he can achieve imperial greatness like some of his uh, predecessors 200 years ago were able to do? Для людей его поколения и даже моего поколения, я на 10 лет моложе, родной страной является Советский Союз. For people of his generation, and, and even for people of my generation, I'm 10 years younger than him, our homeland, the, the, the country that we were born in, that we're from, is the Soviet Union. И с этой точки зрения он не воспринимает, конечно, Украину или Грузию как независимые страны. So from that perspective, he doesn't see Ukraine or Georgia as fully independent countries as such. И интересно заметить, что те, кому сейчас 35-40 уже воспринимают сегодняшнюю реальность. А то есть для них уже Украина это другая страна. Тем не менее, если мы будем говорить о Путине, он четыре раза начинал войну. Именно в тот момент, когда ему нужно было решить его внутриполитические проблемы. То есть мы это можем увидеть прямо вот на графике. Мы видим падение популярности, начало войны, рост популярности. Падение популярности, начало войны, рост популярности. Четыре раза так. The uh, uh, statistical relationship can be shown on a graph. His popularity falls, he starts a war, popularity rises. Popularity falls, he starts a war, popularity rises. It, it's a one-to-one -one correlation. И именно поэтому я говорю по поводу, так сказать, стремления многих к переговорам Путину. С Путиным пятый раз он будет делать то же самое. Это просто для него модус операнди. Anyway, and to those people who say, well, you know, should we negotiate a settlement in the current war with Putin, I always say, there's going to be a fifth one. You know, if, you, if, you, if this war ends, there will be a fifth one. This is his modus operandi. Luke mentioned the, uh, the first Gulf War, and of course, at that time, there was some equivocation uh, in, in the U.S. and Margaret Thatcher famously said to President Bush, George, this is no time to go wobbly. <laughs> and there's been some debate in... Congress in recent months about American support, continued American support for Ukraine. What happens if America goes wobbly? Um, uh, and, and what happens if Ukraine is defeated? То, что мы сейчас видим у 
Это плохо прозвучит, но у Украины кончаются силы. Uh, this is not going to sound good, but what, what we are observing now is uh, Russia, I'm sorry, Ukraine is losing strength right now. Putin's Russia doesn't have that much strength either. Forces. But Ukraine is losing, losing it faster. Когда на каждые 10 путинских снарядов один украинский, ну, в общем, героизм не очень помогает. When for, for each shell that Ukraine lobs in the Russian direction, the Russians lob 10 shells at Ukraine, uh, heroism isn't going to save you. К сожалению, так сказать, сейчас время, когда техника решает. This, unfortunately, is a time when... Uh, Hardware decides matters. Although heroism is obviously important. But it doesn't work if you don't have the hardware to back you up. As I see it, Putin is... Uh, expecting, assuming that Ukraine will break by 2025 if it doesn't have Western aid. If American aid continues, he, he figures that Ukraine will still break only in 2026. Это его позиция, и, так сказать, в общем, очень многие люди об этом говорят, в том числе публично. This is his position, and a lot of people are talking, are talking about this, including publicly. Та задача, которую он ставит перед военными на сегодняшний день, это захват всей левобережной Украины. Левобережная Украина. The the task that he has set before the military uh, is to capture the, the Ukrainian left bank, the left bank of the Dnieper, the eastern half of the country. Это приблизительно 40 percent территории. It's about 40 percent of the territory of the country. Если ему это удастся, на этом история не остановится. If he succeeds at this, that will not be the end of the story. Его конечная цель три четверти украинской территории, то есть кроме восточ, кроме нескольких западных областей. His ultimate goal is to get about three quarters of Ukraine, that is everything but a few of the westernmost oblasts. Надо понимать, что то, как Путин сейчас Путинская администрация сейчас работает с населением захваченных областей, приведет к тому, что он этих людей в течение двух лет поставит в строй своей армии. We can already see from the, the way that he's been acting with the populations of the territories that, that Russia already controls, we can see that within two years, uh, he will have taken the, the population and turned it into uh, soldiers in his army. And we can see from what's happening in Luhansk and, and Donetsk oblasts already that the lives of these people are worth absolutely zero to him. From a political point of view. And where he's going to direct these people to go next, well, let's put it this way. Uh, uh, the Baltic states have every reason to be worried. Вот. И еще раз, это из внутриполитических соображений. Даже если он сегодня думает, что он без этого обойдется, 
он без этого не обойдется, потому что его политическая база сегодня — это крайние радикалы. Которые ими не были, но когда им платят на войне в 10 раз больше, чем они получали в обычной жизни, они ими стали. They didn't used to be extreme radicals, but if they can earn 10 times more in the army than they do in civilian life, they become that. Now, to bring this back to, to the US and it's an election year, and, um, don't feel that you have to answer this question, but um, 2008 Georgia, the annexation of Crimea, the invasion of Ukraine, all of them happened under democratic administrations in the US. Coincidence or no coincidence? <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, you're not going to drag me into a discussion <laughs> of American politics. <laughs> yeah, but, but, you know, you, you have to forgive me for trying. Um, я навсегда запомнил одну картинку, которая была опубликована, когда Трамп пришел к власти. I will never forget a picture that was published when Trump came to power. Путин сидит вот так вот обхватив голову. Putin is sitting there with his head in his hands. И подписано: это тот говорит, печальный момент, когда ты перестал быть самым непредсказуемым руководителем страны в мире. And the, the caption is. That sad moment when you realized you're no longer the most unpredictable person in the world. <laughs> so, when, when you were released from prison, uh, you went to Germany, you did that famous press conference at the Checkpoint Charlie Museum, you thanked Genscher. Uh, the, the Swiss had done a great deal to help you during this period, including with your, your visa and so on. Yet you didn't decide to settle in Germany or Switzerland. You came and settled in the UK. Why the UK? My office for these years in All of those years, my office was operating in Great Britain. Жена вот только-только устроила там детей в школу. And I went to Switzerland because my wife had just just gotten the kids in, into schools there. И перевозить их сразу было как-то ну тяжело. And it just it would be difficult to drag them out of there just as they'd gotten settled in. Я очень благодарен и Германии, и Швейцарии за за помощь. I am very grateful to both Germany and to Switzerland for, uh, for what they did, for their help. But when I started getting ready to move to London, a friend of mine said to me, don't go there. I say, why? He said, because then you'll, you'll never want to go back, because London, it's like Moscow, only better. <laughs> I'll try and take that in the right way. <laughs> yeah. So um, what, what, what now in uh, your, your life's been, a, you know, you could make an easy mini-series, a soap opera out of, uh, out of all of this, and uh, it's fair to say you've not been a subtle critic. Uh, in recent times of Putin. And last year, your two books came out. You had uh, How Do You Slay a Dragon, a manual for startup revolutionaries, uh, and the Russia conundrum, how the West fell for Putin's uh, power gambit and how to fix it with, with Martin Sixsmith. Um, Putin's reach is, is great. We've seen, we saw Litvinenko poisoned in London. We saw the Novichok poisoning of Skripal in, in Salisbury in London. Um, how do you live uh, a, a life knowing that that sort of risk of m murder by the Russian gangster state is, is always a threat? Uh, I spent four years in the barracks, было там от 30 до 150 человек, из которых 
приблизительно четверть сидела за убийство. I spent four years living in a barrack, which had uh, anywhere from 30 to 150 other people in it, of whom roughly a quarter were there for murder. Я провел еще шесть лет в камере, где ко мне подсаживали наркоманов. I spent another six years in a prison cell where they, they would uh, put in drug addicts with me. Которым оперативники давали наркотики в обмен на то, что они, так сказать, писали обо мне отчеты. Whom the operatives were feeding drugs in return for them writing reports about me. А потом мне давали наркотики. And then they would stop giving them the narcotics. Вот вы себе представляете, в каком настроении эти люди были. You can imagine what a fine mood these people were in. Вот как я себя чувствую после этого на улицах Лондона. Хорошо себя чувствую. So how do I how do I feel now that I'm walking in the streets of London after that? Very good, thank you. <laughs> when, I, when I first met you, as I, as I told you yesterday, uh, a few years ago now, what struck me was that despite all the, the horrors that you've been through, um, you're a man who seems to have remarkably little bitterness um, in you. Um, how is that possible? Спасибо родителям. С нервами все в порядке. I guess thanks to my parents. My nerves are just fine. Вообще, жизнь в Советском Союзе для ребенка, она вообще так готовит к тюрьме. Нормально. You know, life for a child in, in the Soviet Union prepares you pretty well for prison. Anyway, the young pioneer camps, uh, I guess an adult might think that, that they're nice, but like they, they really do prepare a kid for prison. Вот, что интересно, в тюрьме ты риск вообще не воспринимаешь, потому что жизнь настолько тяжела, что, в общем, тебе твоя собственная оценка твоей собственной жизни близка к нулю. You don't even really think about risk when you're in, in prison, because life is just so hard that you stop really thinking about the value of your life as such. Вот, но тем не менее, это все равно интересно. But still, it, it's an interesting experience. Я, так сказать, я, я человек, который вот, которому интересно было жить в Советском Союзе, потом интересно было заниматься бизнесом, потом интересно было в тюрьме, а теперь интересно опять. I guess I, I feel I've had an interesting life. It was interesting for me to live in the Soviet Union. It was interesting for me to, to uh, be in the business world. Prison was interesting, and now what I'm doing now is interesting. Well, interesting is in itself an interesting euphemism um, <laughs> uh, in, in all of that. The, um, so what now? What do we, what's, the, what's the next episode in the Mikhail Kordakovsky soap opera? What, what, what's left? What are your ambitions? What drives you? What have you got left to achieve? I'm convinced that Russia I am convinced that Russia is going to change yet again in my lifetime. Я считаю, что никто из моих друзей, которые сейчас сидят в тюрьме, не просидят в тюрьме весь отведенный им срок. And I am convinced that none of my friends who are still locked up in prison are going to stay in that in prison to the end of their sentences. Я считаю, что Путину осталось от пяти до десяти лет. К сожалению, это долго, но это не так долго. I think Putin still got five to ten years left. 
That's a long time, unfortunately, but not all that long. Раньше я оценивал этот срок меньше, но, увы, Америка перестала помогать Украине. Earlier I, I had uh, thought that he had less time than that left, but alas, the United States stopped helping Ukraine. Вот. Тем не менее, базовый вопрос, что будет в России после? But still, the, the key question is, what will be in Russia after? And there are two possibilities here. Option one is that in Putin's place, there will come another Putin, who for the first few years, America is going to like more. А потом опять нет. And then after that, it will again not like. Потому что централизованная Россия это Россия, которой нужен внешний враг. Because a centralized Russia is a Russia that needs an external enemy. И внешний враг уже 500 лет на это место избирается Запад. And for 500 years already. Uh, the role of the external enemy is played by the West. A second option, however, is the federalization and democratization of Russia. This is the notion that right now I am working to try to implant into the minds of Russians, first and foremost, and in whatever spare time I've got left from doing that, into the minds of Western politicians. And And if I succeeded, if, if this succeeds, I should say, the, then the end point will be Russia will, will not be a democratic country, but it won't be an aggressive one. Anyway, this is the task that I have before me for whatever time I have left on this earth. Thank you. Great. Well, the warning is there. Five to ten more years of, of Vladimir Putin. Uh, our policymakers, our Congress, our decision makers need to wake up to this reality and start planning, <clears throat> planning accordingly. Uh, thank you so much for being so open and candid with us today uh, and so insightful. Um, and I wish you the best of luck with your work and what you're doing. It's important work and we are supporting you here. Um, around Washington and also at Hudson Institute. And Liam, thank you so much for joining us today and, uh, and coming up with this idea of, of doing this event. So I would like to uh, thank our online viewers for tuning in today. And I would like to thank our in-person audience for joining us. If you're interested in uh, more of the work that we are doing here at Hudson, you can find it on hudson.org. And please join me uh, thanking our, our two guests today. <laughs>